0: That's who. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline to further get us caught up from basketball news, is it Evan Sidery? I started out the show, Evan, by suggesting that I know we live in the moment, and maybe it's because I'm in this moment. Hey, this is the most active. This is the most incredible of all time trade deadline-wise. But honestly, I, I think this has to be it because I can't remember a day of the NBA trade deadline that went down the stretch in the final two hours as this one did.
1: Yeah, it was actually really interesting the roller coaster today was, John, because it feels like, to be honest, most of the action happened before today with the overnight Kevin Durant trade, which shook the whole NBA. The Kyrie Irving trade a couple of days beforehand at Dallas. We saw a couple strong moves today uh, across the board, but really it was pretty quiet outside of some marginal moves here and there. So, but, but the size of moves of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and Brooklyn blowing it all up there, and now the sun's being the instant title contender in the West, I mean, it's a massive, massive, massive day.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about that in just a second. Can you help us make sense? And I know that there's one more move we got to find out here regarding the Pacers and the roster. They add Jordan Wara, uh, George Hill and Serge Ibaka, and of course that was a part of that three-way deal, including the Nets and the Bucks, so the Bucks could end up getting Jay Crowder, somebody you've covered over the years very well. Um, I- I'm curious, I-, I think we understand the War apart, 24 years old, he got extended. I mean, there's nothing overwhelming about it, but it's somebody you can see how they do with this up-and-coming, this growing group of Pacers. Hill and Ibaka, on the other hand, what what uh, what move is this to get to what point as to why we see it right now? And obviously, one more roster spot needs to be obviously open to make this thing complete.
1: Yeah, just real quick, I'll start off with the trade there and then go into the roster. I think the trade today, just them getting involved as a third team, facilitating that move and getting Jordan Nawara, who's a mid twenties. He's a, he's twenty four years old. He's a good shooter. He's a versatile defender. Not great, but he's okay on that end. He's a good reserve wing, I would say, which is what the Pacers need more of. They need more of those six, seven, six, eight guys who can shoot the basketball, who can play defense, and the can provide a little bit of that on a cheap contract. And getting off Goga Batate, too, but they cut him through that trade to open up that roster spot. Uh, Goga wasn't playing, so I think it makes sense to take out a center, add in a wing there in Nawara, the who could be a long-term piece of the puzzle if they want to. But as far as Ibaka and Hill go, I actually think that George Hill actually could stay here past this or not past season, but throughout this season, because he's a really good mentor. I mean, he's like TJ McCall, where I think he had a great mentor for Tyrese Halliburton and the rest of those young guards that he wants to stay around. He's obviously from Indiana. He has roots here. So it's up to him if he wants to stay put or not. I think Serge Ibaka, I very much doubt that he's on the roster and plays a game here. That's just a prediction on my end there because Ibaka has wanted a bigger role he wants to be on a contending team. That's not the Pacers. So, if I had to guess the warmer move that's coming here soon, John, I'd, I'd guarantee or bet to say on a pretty good good idea that Sergey Ibaka is probably going to be cut here soon.
0: You think that's the move that, that we're kind of waiting on here to size yeah, this I entire think, thing I up?
1: So. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I think
1: so. Yeah,
0: I guess that would, that would make sense. I, I, a lot of people would ask this, um, because again, last night, you saw 13 minutes of play for Benedict Matherin, and... People around here, and I get it, they want to see the young guys play. But it's even further than that for me. But I think Matherin has shown when this team was winning that he is an integral part of that winning, right? He was a huge part of that winning. And then all of a sudden in the last week, he kind of gets his minutes deflated a little bit. And I guess some of the worry that I've met – from some Pacer fans, is that all right? So if you get yeah, George Hill, you get that that veteran guy here, that maybe Rick Carlisle would be more apt to go with that veteran and bend some guys that probably here down the stretch of the season need to be playing.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting direction. The Pacers, have, they, they didn't really make a big move, so to say, but they kind of subsequently told us they're going to be competing for a play in spot this year, or at least trying to. They didn't get off any of your veterans you added in a good wing. Uh, I think this Pacers team, uh, I mean, it makes sense for them to be in this spot, but for them not to uh, maybe solve some of these veterans, maybe that's more in the summer with a Buddy Heel type of contract. But I think we're already running into these problems here, John, where when Buddy Heal gets hot, like he has in the last couple of weeks, you're seeing Mather and you're seeing DeWart to not get consistent minutes. And that shouldn't be happening, especially on a team where this year it should be all about development, all about the young court it shouldn't be about wins and losses. And, That's what I'm worried about with this team currently is that they're going to be trying to compete for wins, compete for that playing spot. Obviously, having that experience for this young core will be fun. But overall, I just don't see why you would want to hinder Mathurin and Duarte for the expensive buddy. We know who he is in his career. He's a great shooter. He's a great veteran to have on this roster. But at the expense of Duarte and Matt, I don't know if it makes
0: sense to play 30-plus minutes every night right now. Yeah, it's uh, Evan Sider of Basketball News with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Again, Jordan Wara and uh, George Hill and Serge Ibaka, a part of that three-team deal between the Bucks and the Nets and the Pacers a little bit earlier today. It, it, is, it has been a shaken landscape. There's no doubt about that. And, and to get a little bit more about this particular deal, involving the Pacers here why were the Bucks so hell-bent on getting a guy in Jane Crowder that you'd covered for many years in Phoenix
1: it seems like they've been missing the element off their championship team was P.J. Tucker when he left surprisingly off the Bucks championship roster to go to Philadelphia and, and Miami as well I think they've been missing that one piece since their title run which was that grit that that veteran forward who can shoot the basketball he can guard three or four positions Jay Crowder can do that he hasn't played a long time he held out Due to a contract dispute with the Suns, but the Bucks paying five second round picks is a huge price for Jay Crowder, who I think is not even, I think it's maybe on the same tier as PJ Tucker, but maybe a little bit smaller than that. So I don't know if I like the deal for Milwaukee for the price they paid, but for what they need on their roster, they need a wing stopper, to need a shooter, to need another veteran, I think it does make sense in the win now approach for them.
0: Seven Saturday of basketball news with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. One more thing regarding the Pacers and this new mixture on their team. And I'd mentioned to you regarding Matherin. It's not so much about, hey, we got to go see the young guys play. It's about that particular young guy is one of the better guys and producers and has shown that when they do win games, he has been an integral part of it. So, you know, Rick Carl Allen asked about that last night, and the 13 minutes and really no run, not a lot of run, especially down the stretch, he mentioned other guys were, were going, and that was a coaching decision. Well, if you watched the game last night, really other guys weren't going. It wasn't going a lot. And it would just seem like that in that particular game that a guy like Matherin, who when the Pacers again were winning, was a huge portion of that. What, what is that, do you think, as far as that just? coaching decision as Rick mentioned is you know that just being uh I don't know a little bit hardcore with wanting to to see guys over the rookie in this case what, what can that ultimately be
1: yeah maybe it is also just like hard coaching on Matherin from Rick Carlisle again not just speculation but we know the talent that Matherin is if he's had maybe a bad couple of days of practice maybe it was teaching him a lesson there or something along those lines but Mathurin, as we've seen throughout this year, John, he gets 25, 30, 35 minutes a night. He's been up 20 plus points per game almost every single time. And that's what this team needs as a bucket getter on the court at every time possible. And that's, to me, this is more of a long-term thought. And this is probably something we'll explore later in the summer or next season. But I don't know if now is the time to maybe put Ben and Mathurin into the starting lineup here soon. Because, I just don't know if he's enjoying the bench role long-term. I think the number six overall pick should eventually be getting 30-plus minutes per game, eventually be in that starting lineup too, getting as much minutes with Tyrese Halliburton as possible. I know Buddy Heald's a great veteran. He has, great, he has a great chemistry with Tyrese Halliburton there. But at the expense of Mathurin, he should never be playing 13 minutes. I don't care how bad of a night he has or how good of a night someone else is having. A guy of Mathurin's caliber, he's a— co-pillar of this rebuild, John, next to Tyrese Albert. He can't be just thrown off to the side some nights like he did last night.
0: You surprised that Daniel Tice wasn't moved?
1: I was, yeah. Especially with just how he doesn't fit the timeline of this team as far as his age goes. But his contract, he does have Two more guaranteed years left. I think he has a team option on his third year there. So that might be why it was hard to find a deal for him. That's another question, too, we haven't really explored is now with Tice still on the roster, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, you didn't really consolidate any of those big men off the roster except Goga Batadze, who was out of the rotation anyway. So you still have that that issue unless Daniel Tice now goes back to the bench, John, where – where where did Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson fit into the puzzle
0: here the rest of the season? Yeah, that that is something too. That part is surprising because to a lesser degree, everybody wants to see Isaiah Jackson get in there too. And obviously, you watched last night, he sat and yeah, because of Daniel Tice and obviously Miles starting, that seems like that that's gonna squeeze a lot of minutes. It'll be interesting to see here in the next three weeks to a month those types of coaching decisions that Rick Carlisle makes with this group.
1: Absolutely. I think once if they do fall out of the picture a little bit more, with how jumbled the NBA is, and especially the Eastern Conference right now, the Pacers are only a couple of games out of the play-in spot, and they could pretty quickly get it back up there if they get on a little run here. And that's what I'll be watching out for in the next six weeks or so, is if the Pacers stay around 500, they they're still competing for wins. But if they keep losing and they've lost 13 or the last 15 games, that continues forward past the All-Star break here. I'd have to imagine at some point you play these veterans less and prioritize the youth more and more.
0: So you're thinking again? George Hill stays. Serge Ibaka doesn't. And again, there's there's got to be one more piece, right, connected here with the Pacers to make room for this this particular deal.
1: Correct. Yeah, they have one. They have 16 players, I think, on their 50 man roster right now. So they have to let one player, one more player, go. Terry Taylor got waived earlier today. Gogo Bataille got waived in that Jordan Award deal. So one more shooter drop there. I guess right now it's Serge Ibaka just because he doesn't make sense with the current construction of the roster. But I imagine we'll find out here very soon on that.
0: Uh, again, it's Evan Sider with us, Basketball News, getting you updated on the NBA trade deadline, which got going a little bit, no doubt. And it really all started yesterday. And obviously you've been in and around Phoenix and that idea Regarding Kevin Durant, had been there for a while. Was it just the all new uh, ownership with uh, what's his name, Matt Ishma or Bishta or whatever his name is, the new owner that's in Phoenix Did that got a spearhead? What ended up getting Kevin Durant and that obvious new core that they have right now that's going to be playing alongside Booker and Paul and company in Phoenix.
1: Yeah, it's a good hypothesis there, John. I think you're spot on just because the Suns actually, when Matt Ishbia purchased the team, they actually rushed this process forward, usually they wait till in the offseason for this yeah. move to happen. But with how it was timed out, 24 hours before the trade deadline, he has this introductory press conference. You kind of knew Sun was up behind the scenes there, and with them getting Kevin Durant, I mean, that, that was just incredible to wake up to this morning for any NBA fantasy. that kind of news. But this Suns team, it's been in the works for almost two years now. They've been targeting Kevin Durant, They've been wanting these assets. They were kind of holding on in hopes of this implosion for the Mets, which happened with Kyrie Irving requesting a trade, and eventually Kevin Durant did the same thing once more. They didn't want to get McHill Bridges, though. McHill Bridges has been a great player for Phoenix these past five years. He's shown the last six weeks of the season, too, being a 20-plus point-per-game scorer and elite defender. He's a Huge piece of the puzzle there, and Phoenix are going to lose. The, obviously, paying the price of Kevin Durant is well worth that. You lose Cam Johnson I that deal as well. But the Suns have been wanting to put De- Kevin Durant next to Chris Paul, next to him, book for the last two years, and they finally did it. And you're seeing now why. I think they're pretty pretty clearly, in my opinion, the top team in the West right now.
0: A lot of these guys, team-wise, they end up mortgaging the longer-term future for the now. How does this all, in respect to what Phoenix can do, how much leverage they may have, wiggle room they may have moving forward, how, how has that been mortgaged, if at all?
1: Yeah, it's a good question because now, really, pretty much this, the Nets own the Suns draft throughout the, this decade in the 2020s. They have 2023, 20, 25, 27, 29 first draft picks, all unprotected, and a pick swap on top of that. So a, a huge price to pay with those young guys, too you're putting a lot of future in your hands of three guys, really. Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, and Devin Booker. And Booker's the big one there. He's only 26 years old. Uh, I think he could be the next next guy post-Kevin Durant era, whenever that ends in four or five years. The Suns, their entire roster in 2026, they have no guy on their team under contract except Devin Booker. So they can remake this team in three or four years with a lot of salary cap space and still maintain and be a title contender. So I think it's a move for the Suns who, who never won a championship before in the NBA. They've been yearning for that for years now and getting so close a couple of years ago, I think really helped help as far as getting more aggressive in that stance goes. So I think them making this move made too much sense to me as far as Kevin Durant.
0: The uh, remake, what do teams so eagerly want to help out the Lakers seemingly in everything? Because I don't know if I would put that all on what Pelinkin company did. It always just seems like everybody's more than willing to help these guys out. Do you like what they did to remake their team at this trade deadline?
1: Yeah, honestly, John, surprisingly, the Lakers did really, really good today. Just based off their rush construction, they got younger. They got cheaper contracts, too. They got rid of the Russell Westbrook contract. They got Patrick Beverly out of the locker room. They only let go of one of their first-round picks they own over the next five years. And the guy in D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, Ruby Achimura, Mo Bamba, Malik Beasley is a good shooter as well. You replenished your depth. You replenished your defense. So you added in some good defenders there and some good shooters, some good young pieces. For what they, what they sent out, for what they put back into this roster, John, I think it was an A-plus today for the Lakers, surprisingly. And like you mentioned, active day, and a lot of teams are helping them out there. But what the Lakers get up in return there was a lot of wheeling and dealing, a lot of second-round picks, and a lot of deals happened today. Three, four, sometimes five second-round picks, and a lot of deals today were traded The teams.
0: What do you think about the West now? Size it up at what we know right now, as far as the trade deadline is concerned with the moves that were made.
1: Yeah, I put two teams right now in Tier 1 of the Western Conference. It's also jumbled up, but right now, as far as tiers, I would go Phoenix when Kevin Durant is on the court. I just think him and Devin Booker are going to be an unstoppable combination, 1-2. In that offense, for any team to face, number two or one B, if you want to put it there, I think Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. It's very—I mean, Jokic is one of those stars we don't talk about enough, John, just because the way he plays and the numbers he puts up. He had a triple double in 15 minutes the other night. The stuff he's doing is absolutely incredible. He's only 27 years old for a guy at seven foot, 275 pounds to average a 25 point triple double. It's just incredible what he's doing there. So I would definitely put. Denver on that same tier as Phoenix. And then from there, probably four or five teams you can put there. The Clippers, the Pelicans. You can also throw in the Lakers, too, if you want to. There's the Kings, who are having a good season. The Grizzlies, too, who have been struggling as of late. But after the, the, the Nuggets and the Suns, those are probably five or six teams there. And the Dallas Mavericks, of course, getting Kyrie Irving. There, really, you could convince yourself 1-3 right now in the Western Conference they could make a legitimate deep playoff push. And it hasn't been like this in a really long time.
0: And you look out west, and you know something we did not mention, I just bring it up because you brought up the Nuggets. Thomas Bryant traded from the Lakers to the Nuggets, the former... Hoosier big man, and I think it was Bones Highland that was traded from the Nuggets to the Clippers earlier today as well. Former Hoosier Eric Gordon uh, going to the Clippers from Houston. That's where everything started for him. Uh, nothing on the John Collins fl- front in Atlanta. Justin Holiday, Frank Kamensky to Houston for Garrison Matthews and Bruno Fernando, but surprise you that John Collins didn't end up anyplace else.
1: Yeah, a little surprising because, again, there was so much buzz and noise around John Collins, but it seems like now he's the new version of Miles Turner where every few months you're hearing constant rumors for John Collins, really since the summer of 2020 when he signed that new extension. And this is more of a long-term thought for the Pacers in general, but when you look at them not really making moves and you keep a buddy, healed, you keep Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, that's just one name, and especially O.G. Ananobi, too, if you want to bring him up back up, he stayed put in Toronto today. Them keeping them past the deadline. Now Indiana has more flexibility if they want to for the summer. where now Buddy Heald's contract is an expiring contract. You have a couple, a little bit more flexibility there if you want to approach Atlanta or Toronto for one of those two players. So I think it was an interesting deadline for John Collins and OG and OB for that aspect because now it seemed like Indiana could capitalize this summer.
0: Evan Sidery of Basketball News. Before I let you go, we don't have enough time to go over all of these deals. I'll try to go over them all over the course of the afternoon. Now, you did mention Patrick Beverly out of L.A. to the Magic. He's probably never going to play a minute there. He's going to get bought out. Mobamba Bamba going from Orlando. To the Lakers, that's a part of their pre deadline activity. But I want to get back to Jordan Awara right here for a moment, too. How do you size him up as a player? I described it before you came on as I mentioned, you know, not buying, not selling, but building. And it seems like if you're going to take a flyer on somebody at 24, that you might as well go ahead and do it. But what do you know about him and what do you know about what may be his fit when he starts to get some consistent playing time with this
2: group?
1: Yeah, as far as a Chief Flyer, like you mentioned, John, it's kind of the perfect one because they get a second-round pick attached on top of it with Jordan Awara to help facilitate that trade. You only let go of Goga batade there. But Jordan war is a career 38% three-point shooter. He can shoot the basketball. He's a good rebounder for a size two i think he's underrated as far as defense goes is very hot or cold but it, it, when he's locked in he's a really capable defender in my opinion and being six eight two twenty five, 225 he could play two through four all over the wing there so for for wing depth overall i think it's a really good cheap find for the pacers today and what they did his current contract he's actually under a contract next season for only three million dollars for 2023-24 there so maybe he could be a guy to watch out for the current place, a guy like O'Shea Bursett, who is a free agent this upcoming season. So, Jordan
0: Noir, George Hill, and Serge Ibaka. And we're believing that only Noir and Hill will remain here, and Ibaka ends up getting a buyout or whatever takes place here. And that was all a part of that three-team deal with the Pacers, the Bucks, and the Nets that centered around – Jay Crowder ending up with the Bucks, And Evan Sidery helping us sort through all this as carefully as possible from Basketball News with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Man, thanks for jumping on here. I mean, really, there's a lot more we could talk about, but I don't know if we have enough time in the
1: hour to do it all. Oh, no worries. As always, appreciate the invite, John, anytime you need me. Uh, we'll catch up in the future, Evan. Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Andy Moore, automotive group hotline outside of the NBA trade deadline going on with your interest around here. Boilermakers at home against Iowa coming up later on this evening. Mackie Arena and West Lafayette for our friend Rob Blackman. Voice of the Boilermakers, it means it's a nice little chill drive up 65 to hang out and call some ball tonight. Nice night for you.
3: Indeed, although I've been here at shoot around this whole time. So oh, you have? Did you, so, so did you just say George Hill was traded to the Pacers? He today? was back oh, to okay. the Pacers today. Yeah, nice, nice. Okay. Well, that's the breaking news to me, probably not to your audience, but thank you for bringing me up to speed.
0: Well, you're <laughs> just telling my audience that you're in shoot around and not paying a damn bit of of at all attention to the show. Thanks a lot, buddy.
3: Yeah, I was, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I would not have you called up on my app here. Oh, but, uh, it's good to know. Uh, yeah, back to your original point. Yes. Yeah, nice to be at home. Man, it feels like, I, I said this on the air Saturday at Indiana, it feels like this team, this Purdue team, left for Portland uh, Thanksgiving week and, and we've never been, never come off the road. I know that's not true, but it just feels that way. Yeah. Uh, it just feels like this season has so had so many road games, and I know it hasn't. It's probably no different than any other year, but it just has that feel of, man, we've had very few home games. And in a lot of ways, Purdue has kind of gotten the short end of the stick on the scheduling, but it will kind of come back around full circle here because when we get to the final four games of the year, Purdue will have three of the four at home. So it'll all even itself out at the end, but man, it does feel like we've been on the road a whole bunch this year.
0: Yeah, Rob, we'll talk about Iowa in the matchup tonight in a second, but double back Saturday to that loss at IU. How much does you think it'd eat at those guys that if you put together anything reminiscent of a better first half than that outcome in Bloomington, regardless of the environment, how loud it was, and how well IU played, they were right there at the end, and it really was that first half that sunk them.
3: Yeah, in free throw shooting and turnovers, and those are all part of the life- was really a miserable first 20 minutes for Purdue. I mean, you think about Purdue defensively had gone this entire season without giving up uh, more than 70 points in a single game. And Indiana had 50 points at the half. (laughs) I mean, think about 50 at the half, and you hadn't had anyone score more than 70 on you all year. A big part of that was the runouts in transition on live ball turnovers because there were a ton of turnovers, 11 of them in the first half. I know all of them weren't live ball turnovers, but, man, it felt like every one of them was a live ball turnover that put Indiana in transition, and, and that's where they're going to get you. One of the reasons Purdue's been so good defensively this year, you know, keeping teams under 70, is they've done a fairly decent job of taking care of the ball so they can set their defense. Purdue's pretty good in the half-court defense. Quite, they way, way better than they were a year ago. Way better than they were a year ago. Well, you can't say you have half-court, half-court defense if the other team's always in transition, which is what happened in that first half. And then the free-throw shooting. You know, the great irony to that was, as of 10 days ago, Purdue was the best free-throw shooting team in the Big Ten. If you just look at the Big Ten games only, Purdue was right up around 82% as a team. And then just completely, you know, the bottom just completely fell out on a, on the a free-throw shooting. I think that's probably what bothered Matt Painter the most. You know, on the coaches show Monday, he talked about that on the coaches radio show. that, you know, look, regardless, on the free-throw shooting, home or away, it's still only 15 feet away from the basket, and no one's allowed to guard you. So (laughs) we we need to sit over there and make free throws. That's the one thing you should be able to do consistently, and and Purdue hadn't done that consistently until Saturday. So uh, tip of the cap to Indiana, man, that atmosphere was awesome. at assembly hall, I mean, that place was rocking. There wasn't an open seat to be found, and and I think it really did affect our younger players, especially early in the game. I think we were were a little shook. Uh, And then once they settled in, they were okay, but – but a tip of the cap to that, that IU crowd, man, because they, they made a big difference early in that
0: game. So Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilermakers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Podline. that was my next question, whether or not you thought that that first half that that young group got a little bit rattled at Assembly Hall.
3: Yeah, and I would even throw Ethan Morton in there. You know, he had a couple really early fouls that were just uncharacteristic of him or just kind of lost his mind, which is something he rarely does. Um, I think if we're being fair, in the first 10 to – Twelve minutes of that game, I'd say everyone not named Zach Eady in a Purdue uniform was pretty shook. Uh, they just got frazzled, you know, and that. And then look, that atmosphere was unlike anything we'd seen all year. Uh, Michigan State was a great atmosphere, but it, it was it wasn't like it was at Assembly Hall Saturday. That was again a tip of the cap to the Indiana fans, man, because they they brought it and they brought their A game. And, and I, I do firmly believe, in that those first twelve minutes or so in that game, it made a difference.
0: A little bounce back opportunity tonight against an Iowa team that that Rob has been recently playing better and right now sits in within striking position in the Big Ten, kind of lumped in the middle with everybody else. How do you size up that Hawkeye squad tonight?
3: Well, they're trending in the right direction. They've won, I think, five of their last seven, maybe five of their last six. But, you know, the one thing that's happened for them is they've gotten healthy. Um, You know, they played a few games there without Patrick McCaffrey. Uh, as he set out uh, for anxiety issues, they played a couple games without Connor McCaffrey because of injury, played a couple games uh, uh, without Murray uh, because of injury. So they, they've now gotten everyone back healthy, and all of a sudden, man, they're playing at a, at a whole different level. Um, the, the, the great thing about this game, I, well, I guess great, unless you're coaching in it, you have the two best offenses in the country. Purdue's number one in the nation in, in adjusted offensive efficiency, and Iowa's number two. So, so uh, the Hawkeyes can score the ball. They've always been able to score the ball under Fran McCaffrey. Now, the one area they've struggled uh, has been on the defensive end. Um, So you hope Purdue can take advantage of that. But I'm I'm here to tell you, man, this Iowa team has all kinds of offensive uh, firepower. They they do not lack for scoring ability. It's just a matter of can you make them – Pay on the defensive end. That that'll be the key for Purdue tonight. Because again, this this Iowa team has plenty of O. There's no doubt about that.
0: And what's weird about that is you look at. Earlier this season and that Eastern Illinois game on their schedule, for example, I mean, there, there were <laughs> there been some some ugliness. So you look back at Eastern Illinois, for example, I think that was a part of like a, a three game losing streak that included road losses at Nebraska in Penn State. So uh, they've seen some good recently, but man, they have been a part of some bad also this season.
3: Yeah, but I, but remember now they they weren't at full strength either on the health uh, front. They, that's Connor McCaffrey. I know for sure missed that Eastern Illinois game, and they might have had another two, one or two guys out. So now look, that's still a really bad loss. I mean, Eastern Illinois a, uh they're, they're a quad three, and they're probably a quad four now actually. So that's a that's a bad loss. Got a
0: player that's and, punching some guy sitting in the front row last week. <laughs> I think he <laughs> getting a little love for Charleston, Illinois, right there with that. Uh, I, I did
3: see that. Uh, <laughs> although being a University of Evansville grad, I'm always rooting for for Eastern. Now having Marty sitting yeah, on their bench, right. Simmons as a head coach, right? But, uh, but yeah, that's a bad, that's a bad, bad loss for Iowa. There's no doubt about it. But I'm, hey, if I'm, you know, if you're looking at it, projecting right now, the top four seeds that would get to double by for the Big Ten tournament that starts on March the eighth uh purdue and indiana are in there and i was in there right now uh, iowa would be there in my opinion and probably michigan which i think michigan's actually fourth in the league right now which sounds crazy uh, as poorly as they've played at times but i, I would argue i was playing as well as anyone in our league right now just because again they've gotten everyone healthy and uh and again they do not hurt for offense that's that's one thing they do well is score the ball
0: so Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilermakers, with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. All right, not necessarily in closing here talking about the IU game, but things that you want to see with this two-loss Boilermaker squad become, even past tonight, more consistent, or things that you think need to become more consistent moving forward, Rob?
3: Well, the easy answer is free-throw shooting and turnovers, only because if you look at the two losses, that has been – uh, the bugaboo in, for Purdue in both of those games. Rutgers loss, Indiana loss. The story was exactly the same. Could not handle the pressure on the perimeter early in the game, so turn the ball over early and often, put the other team in transition. They get easy buckets, and now you've built yourself such a big hole that you just can't, you can't crawl out of it. And then when you do start crawling out of it and you get yourself to the free throw line because you're being aggressive offensively, you don't make free throws. Um, so if there's – and look, you're, when you're 22 and two, you're you're really nitpicking. And <laughs> I understand that, um, but uh, those are that is those are the two constants in the two losses. Uh, the two things that cannot be argued is that Purdue did not take care of the ball, uh, and uh, and Purdue did not shoot free throws well. If you do those two things uh, in any other game from here on out, and that's including tournament play, uh, there's a good chance you're going to lose. Uh, so those two things do have to get cleaned up. I say get cleaned up again. You know, Purdue's been a really good free throw shooting team this season to this point. I, you hope that was just a just a one off against Indiana um, on Saturday. Uh, but those are the two areas that that could ultimately doom Purdue. I mean, Purdue's been really, really good in a lot of other areas, as you well know. When you're ranked number one in the country, you're probably doing a lot of things right. Well,
0: I mean, when you stay that way too after a loss, <laughs> so I mean, you sustain that afterwards. That means you're playing pretty good basketball overall
3: and it shows you the respect that the, that the folks that follow college basketball have yeah. for indiana i mean you don't get you don't get pegged losing uh, to the 21st ranked team in the country their place because uh guess what indiana's yeah. pretty good too uh, but yes those are again when you're when you're number one in the country you really do have to nitpick to find some negatives but those would certainly be a couple of them the turnovers and a free throw shooting
0: all right, 7P tip time, Iowa, number one Purdue tonight from Mackey Arena in West Lafayette. 6 p.m. is where you're going to go on with that hour-long pregame show extravaganza, correct? As Larry
3: Clisby liked to say, the world's longest pregame show. And why we do it? I have no idea. <laughs> Cl- Clisby used to hate the fact that it's an hour. He's like, we could do this in 15 minutes. Why don't we do it for
0: an hour? But, well, you know what? And, and love him, too. He knew exactly why you guys were doing it. <laughs> So oh, there's yes. there's one oh, huge right. reason why you guys are doing it, and it it's called okay. ad revenue. So, yes. got to get all those commercials in. That's exactly right. <laughs> all right, my brother. I appreciate you. Have a great call tonight. We'll catch up next week. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers brought us in with the waiting is the hardest part seemingly that's what's going on around here i kind of laughed about this early in the week because i know you and i talked about it last week nobody likes in the nfl any news breaking outside of this super bowl stuff that they're doing i believe tonight is the nfl honors night too tonight is the night we're going to find out if reggie wayne or dwight freeney end up going into the pro football hall of fame but i mean really if something did pop if somebody did leak something right now, how much of a ripple would it have around the NFL to disrupt what's going on?
2: Not much. I agree, and the, the, it would be a, a, a more than a blip on the national scene because it is a head coaching spot. It but it'd be a big deal here or Arizona. Well, Arizona, that's a little bit different there with the Super Bowl there, right. but here would, it would it would hit nationally, and then it would be a big deal here. And so what? I mean, no one hears all that invested in the Super Bowl. So it wouldn't, to me, make a big difference, a big deal. See, I, I could see if – now, you, the closer the game gets, maybe not. But if they if they knew who they wanted, it was a guy they could hire now, Callahan or uh, uh, Raheem Morris or, or whoever, they could certainly announce a deal. Not that they agreed. We've been through that thing before. But to the, that they've hired this guy, and there'll, there'll be a press conference next Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday, whatever. And and then again, it's a big deal nationally for two seconds, and then it's a big deal here for a while. So you're right about that. But so, so I, I don't know why they couldn't do that. Now, the reason they, one of the reasons they couldn't do that is the guy they want or the guy they've decided on is participating in the Super Bowl. And you can't hire that guy until after the Super Bowl. So, you know, at, at some point you try to connect the dots. And that's that's one of the reasons you don't or can't announce it now. That's just one of them.
0: So Mike Chapel of CBS4 and Fox 59 is with us. So, is that your theory? That the reason why they're waiting is for Shane Steichen here?
2: I, I mean, it, I guess. I mean, but, but I, I, I'm not even remotely predicting that because – I've got nothing to base on it other than common sense and connected to that. And then it's been reported that, I think Zach Kiefer and somebody else reported that four of these candidates have have, have agreed or would like to bring Gus Bradley back. Well, Gus Bradley and Sykin's got a history from the Chargers, so that would make sense there. But, again, it, it, maybe they're just waiting until Monday or Tuesday and they're going to hire Brian Callahan. So, and again, as much as we want it over, there's there's really no overriding hurry other than you leaving these assistant coaches twisting in the wind because they don't know what they're doing. Are they still going to be here? with the new guy bring in a whole new staff? That includes the defense. So that I guess that's the overriding reason to get it done is to, so so these assistant coaches can know what the heck they're doing. But organizationally, there's, they're not missing anything by waiting another ten days instead of doing it last week. Waiting another ten days, they're not going to be behind when the season gets going. The off season gets gone, so we just went it over because we went it over.
0: I just got to know. I don't even know if it's timing. I just you kind of just want to know. Yeah, you've been sitting around here every day. We got to end up talking about it from you know what. trying to talk about it from nineteen different angles about the same thing.
2: I'm not guaranteeing. But I'm pretty sure that by this time next week, we'll have somebody to talk about, yeah, about
0: that. Yeah, I bet you're right. It's it's interesting because I had Zach on with me on Monday, and I remarked about how it, um, to me, the most interesting part is that unlike last time, there's been zero leakage. I mean, nothing's Correct. coming out. And well, but I,
2: the, leak, the leakage that prior has come nationally from agents who said, you know, my guy's talking. You now, the first round, the Colts announced that they finished talking, guys. Second round, it came nationally, not locally, to where the Colts never did, to my knowledge. They never did confirm that they talked to, what was it, seven or eight guys in the second round. That came from agents leaking things nationally. And then this week, there's, I mean, there's nothing. So it, it tells me that the Colts have t- I've told none of these guys they're the guy or they're not the guy. Because if you tell a guy he's not the guy, that normally gets out. That, that, you know, well, they, they they told my guy that he's not getting it, not getting the job. And I can't see the Colts telling, you know, Aaron Glenn, uh, you didn't get the job, but hey, th- don't tell anybody until we announce it. You tell them to pound sand. So uh, th- they've just done a really good job of keeping this locally. And it, it appears they've told nobody, uh, at least I've not seen it, with clear sourcing that he did not get the job and we're moving on to somebody else. They've done a real good job all through this process of of controlling the narrative from their end.
0: I think I mentioned this to you and the same thing I mentioned to Zach on Monday, and it kind of got twisted up a little bit. I think Pat, Pat McAfee mentioned it to Ian Rappaport and Ian Rappaport and and Phoenix shot it down yesterday. It was all kind of funny, but I'm not, reporting it i didn't report it i just had mentioned to zach on monday and this may be something i mentioned to you last week that the only rumor that i had heard and it was just nothing but a rumor was that that jeff saturday already knew that he wasn't going to be it. and i like i said it was just a a rumor but you always you always think about jeff in terms of the ultimate trump card here is Jim Ursay because Jim's going to do what Jim wants to do and if that's Jeff it's going to be Jeff hard for people to believe and they're probably voting against that as we have seen right now but certainly that's why I even look at that rumor as wondering about it considering the circumstances because you always remember that Jim Ursay is going to have that final and overriding vote
2: I've said all along I don't think Jeff would get it I just and I still don't I think that Chris Ballard has done enough of this extensive search and talking to these guys who so many of them have deep resumes. A couple of them have former head coaching positions or at least an interim job with a couple of them. I just think he's really given the owner a lot of really, really good options. And it just sort of exemplifies – Jeff's lack of experience because he's not done this before. I mean, again, it it, it comes off as people are as we're dumping on Jeff Saturday. And we're not. It's just that you're measuring his his resume as a coach against guys who've done it for a long time at different levels. You know, assistant coach, coordinator, a couple of head coaches. So that that, that that's the problem. But, but I think that that's what Chris has done a good job of is saying. You know, Jimmy, I know you really like Jeff and. You know, maybe he, if he got a start a chance to start from February on could be different. But these guys, l- look at these guys. And I think that's what he's done a good job of. And, and you know, so it, it's it's Jeff was behind the eight ball from the day he took the interim job. He just was. You know, there, there was a little chance that th- that that would go well. It could have gone better if they'd won. If they'd finished a couple games for crying out loud, then then maybe the owner could say, no, look. You know, he wasn't one and seven he was you know three and five or whatever if that would have made a difference you hold on to leads against Philly and Pittsburgh and you know Minnesota for crying out loud but that, that this is where we are I think they've done a really good job of feel thorough search and there's several really interesting uh, candidates and I think they'll land on a guy that they really think can can be the guy for the next I don't know, what, four, six, eight years. But they thought that was Frank, too. But they they need to get this right, and then they really need need to get the quarterback right in April. Yeah. Mike, I brought
0: this up earlier this week, too, that, again, they beat Philly here, which they easily could have done. Very easily in Dallas on that Sunday night in Minneapolis, where he had the greatest comeback of all time. I think it is a different story. I I think that, yeah, I think that you win one. If you win two of those games, I I think that logically, Jeff Saturday is still going to be the head coach. No, the Houston game. I mean, yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. So, so, yeah. There's any evidence whatsoever beyond what we know to be true right now.
2: Right. And again, it would have given both of them a a better narrative to, to say, and this is why we're doing this. But the way things went. And just, you know, the stat that just bears repeating is the first seven-game losing streak to end the season since 1953. I mean, that's pretty historical stuff. So it would have been really, really difficult to go that direction. But if they had handled the last two months of the season better and not just folded in several games, which tells you something about the makeup of the roster, that they couldn't finish games, but at, at least it would have given him some evidence to say, no, see this, yeah, that hiring him as the interim coach was kind of off, off the, outside the box and all this. But he, he showed what he can do as a leader and bringing this team back. But that didn't happen, so it would be, it would have been very, very difficult. It will be very, very difficult for them to name Jeff Saturday head coach just because of all that. Yeah, and
0: here's one further thing. I don't think I've ever asked you this. Do you think had this been all new, and Jeff Saturday would have been that brainchild of Jim Ursay right now, and there's a, a clean slate, nothing had happened, he didn't take over, none of those losses are on him, would that have been easier to convince Chris Ballard, who I'm assuming still would be here, helping make that decision, or would it still be the same type of response that Chris has had all along?
2: You mean if? Yeah, if Jim just he's said, not, "Hey, he, you know what? Not, all these to candidates
0: him. be damned. I like Jeff Saturday. What do you think? You think Chris Ballard's thought process would have been different without again with it, without it? the
2: interim yes. without the interim experience? Uh no, because you you're you're really you're just taking a flyer on building your franchise and, and totally rebooting with again one of the great guys that, that that's been here, a great leader and all that stuff. With zero head coaching experience at the college or pro level, I, I think either one. You know, we, we all sort of were shocked when they did it as an interim basis. Boy, to have done it at, at throw him in there with this group with, with w- without that, it, it wouldn't. No, it would have been hard to hard, hard to stomach, and I, I don't think it would have impacted Chris's thought process one way or the other. He would have been against it, I think. Because again, you've got all these guys, quality candidates, and to say no, we're, g- we're going to go so far outside the box and-, and let this guy who's never done it start in February and build the franchise—that would have been such, such a leap of faith. I don't—I just don't know that that would have worked at all, and it would have certainly wouldn't have worked from a PR standpoint if that if that would have played into the uh, decision at all.
0: Yeah, just kind of a thought right there. But, you know, you think about a lot of things because here's one of the reasons why we have a lot of time to contemplate. So we think about these these different areas and things had, you know, a game or two gone differently or, you know, if it was Bubba Ventrone or somebody else that had taken over instead of Jim forcing his way with Jeff Saturday coming in, how differently this thing may look right now.
2: Well, and if, if they had finished better and somehow worked their way into the playoffs with, you know – Winning the division and really not having much of a chance in the playoffs, it might have looked all right, but it just it wouldn't have set this team up moving forward at all. You would have had a much worse draft pick, and maybe you would have thought you were you were better than in better shape than what you what you really were. So it, it really worked out as hard as it was on this franchise over the last two months. It really worked out for the best. It just did. We've talked about how this league does not reward, you know, eight eight and one. It just doesn't. It rewards four twelve and one. It rewards two and fourteen and three and thirteen. So and and timing is everything. Well, you're you're four twelve and one, and, and it just so happens there's three or four quarterbacks that might be that good. You don't know, but might be that good. So things had to fall together, and they have. And again, we've talked about that they need to they need to get the right guy at coach, and then they need to get the right guy at quarterback to give them a chance. And if they if they can get that, look what happened in in, in Jacksonville. I realize Trevor Lawrence is is much much better than any of these these possible quarterbacks they bring in, but they get that quarterback, and then and and then they get the coach. You know, they get Doug Peterson to kind of run things down there. And they're going to be tough to deal with, and that's what you have to have here. You've got to get the coach, and then you've got to get that quarterback and then surround him with a better offensive line and better skilled people, not the running back. I mean, JT's as good as it gets, but they need to add another receiver and a tight end, and and then maybe they got a chance, because I like the defense if they can bring it back sort of intact, which they'll lose a play or two, but... You got to get those these two these two decisions right, and then this team won't be quite that far away. Hall of Fame nod opportunities for Reggie
0: Wayne for Dwight Freeney tonight. What do you think?
2: Well, I know, <laughs> I, I, I know what what the decision is, and I'm trying
0: to read. Just, I'm trying to read your response well, to we, that. We, we've done this before i know we have i know i'm a complete yeah. jerk for i, uh, I no, no, no. See, no, no. I, I thought to myself like right i said now, how am i right going to i wanted to word this where it, ca- it kind of came out of nowhere i know that's well, jerky see, of me my bad you
2: know you try you try to slip me up on huh? <laughs> so again i'll do like i did before uh I'll, I'll blink i'll blink twice if they if they got in so right now i'm telling you it's either two blinks or one blink so okay see see, i just blew my confidentiality agreement with the, with the hall of fame so I, I just did tell you who got in it, and gotcha. I couldn't read my eyes. That's on you, bud. <laughs>
0: I know. It's on me.
2: Um, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock tonight, and, you know, we'll see. Uh, Credentials-wise, what do you think? What Do you think ultimately,
0: I mean, just far down the road, you and I are talking in 20 years, and I laugh about that a little bit, but do you, yep. they either one get in, both get in at
2: some point? At some point, they both get in. Yeah. And then Vinatieri gets in in a couple of years. And then that's probably it for a while, for, for quite a while. I think we will. Have, uh, Robert Mathis has a chance. Uh, I think nationally, he's not seen as quite that level, although he is. He, he belongs to be at that level. He is. I mean, we we saw it throughout his career. But uh, well, I tell you. It just it just reinforces what we knew all along that that team in the 2000s it was something special. And it's funny I've heard people say, well, you know, they only one won one Super Bowl. Oh, really? I mean, but they they went twice. Should have won twice. They Hank Basket covered the second you know, the side kick and they probably won that one. But it's hard to win a Super Bowl. How many has Aaron Rodgers got one? Yeah. So it's just hard to get there. But uh, that was a great team, a great collection of players and. Their Hall of Fame, you know, support reinforces that. Yeah, at at some point, both Reggie and and Dwight get in because nationally they're viewed as that level of player. It just depends on whether it's today or a year or two.
0: That's one of the things that that bums me out regarding Jeff Saturday here because I I feel I can separate what took place in the past four months. I can separate that with what he – was of high value for the golden era for that era that you're talking about right there for an era mike and you were on the ground floor when they first got here and certainly i was paying attention being around here too uh much younger but paying attention nobody ever thought They would do anything like that. Nobody ever thought they would have a team like that. And I hate because it feels like the the name of Jeff Saturday has been besmirched by a lot of Colts fans around here by virtue of that Jim Mercer hire. And I hope that that feeling goes away. But I think that is an obvious feeling that you get considering how most don't want even him as a consideration to move forward as the coach. I think that's hurt his name as a player here, at least right now. Mm
2: And that's and unfortunate. And that's the world we live in, which is too bad. Because th- th- they put three or four guys in a position to fail this year. They just did. And, and Jeff was one of them. There was little chance, little chance that that was going to turn out well. But why everyone, not everyone, why so many people saw the need to drag him through the mud, I you, you, we can we can agree that that he shouldn't be the head coach for whatever reason for whatever reason you want to come up with, but but to go to the level that so many people did I don't I think that's that's the the bad underbelly of, of social media now and it's easy to to do that and like you I say I I, I I can sit here and say I don't think he he, he should be head coach because. He doesn't have because he's not a good candidate as Steinshen or Callahan or, or Morris or, or whomever. That doesn't mean I have to, you know, break into Lucas Oil and chisel his name off the Ring of Honor. I just I just wish it didn't get to the point where you love the guy, you hate the guy. It's it's kind of like the with, with LeBron now. It, it, who's the greatest of all time? Either he or Michael Jordan. And it's like if it's if you don't if you want one guy, then you think the other guy in any good. Both things can be – both guys can be, you know, great. And Jeff Saturday, can, he, he was a great player here. He was a great ambassador for this team after he left. There was no need to stoop to the levels that people did to, to trash him. And I, I I wish that wasn't the case, and I hope – I tell you, the the person that's going to remember this is Jeff Saturday.
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, he's going to remember that whoever it was, even those of us who, who weren't in favor of this, for whatever yeah. reasons he he yeah. he won't be quite as chummy with which I understand why why would you be? Well
0: I'm sure my next conversation with Chris Ballard is going to go over smashingly. <laughs> if there is one. <laughs>
2: so, yeah, uh, well that's I know I know so, so yeah. It, that, that's the world we live in and I you know with Jeff I just wish it didn't have to be that way but that's the way it is and that's the way it was. And,
0: listen. I, I I tell people this all the time because I also host the Colts pregame show and I respect that like I want them to respect this you know me and we've known each other for a long time I don't have an axe to grind I don't get personal I don't do buttholish things right. I just come up with an opinion of what's going on and And that's that. There's absolutely nothing personal going on. And outside of, you know, just my presentation in general, I am as professional about this, and understandably so, as as possible. And, you know, you get – I get it. It's like my – I bring this up all the time. Dwayne Allen and I hung out all the time, played basketball together, hung out. He would just show up here and uh, come in studio, start talking. Awesome. Hung out all the time. And then after we go to London – I come back and he had a bad game. And I talked about that bad game. And that's the last time that we talked. That's just the way that it is. And I don't, I don't, I do understand that. I do. Because if I'm in their position, I would think, you know, what's that old guy doing, saying about this? What does he know? I do get it. And that's just unfortunately some of the pitfalls of, of what we do. It's enjoyable, but those are some of the more unenjoyable moments, if you will
2: that's the, the the fine line that we have to that we always walk with these players is we're not their friends, we're just not and, and you, there has to be that separation Now there's, I tell you there's half a dozen or ten guys that, that if I passed them in a mall, we would stop and talk you know I, 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 I consider Peyton Manning, I, I guess a friend you know, a, a few of these guys, but but at the same time you can't get that close. Because there's going to be a time when you're going to be critical, whether it's Peyton or Edge Runner or Reggie. That's why I think if you're if if you can be fair and have you report and talk about them, good or bad, if you're fair, and you know, well, Reggie had this bad game because of this, and I think players once they get past being po'd that you're critical, they'll say yeah I didn't that didn't have a very good game. They just don't like to see them print or whatever. But, but I think, by and large, with coaches and GMs and players, as long as you're fair and it doesn't stoop to being personal or piling on, by and large, I think you're okay with that. And I've had players that I've written critical about, and they'll stop me in the locker room and say, you know, I saw what you said, I don't agree, and this is why. And, and they sort of tell you that, you know, I didn't – Maybe I criticized Costanzo for missing some blocks on sacks. And he, he would explain, well, we were supposed to do this. That really wasn't my guy. And then you're fine. But by and large, just be fair and respectful. And if you had to be critical, be critical. But you just can't get real close to these guys, because there is going to be a time. Yes, there's no doubt. When, when you've got yeah. to be credible, it's, it's just the way it is.
0: Yeah, I mean, McAfee's the only one. I think that uh, I guess Marlon Jackson. Marlon Jackson worked out. I mean, Marlon and I, I still talk to him. You know, he was in here yesterday uh, doing the midday show, and
2: another another one of the great Colts. I yeah. mean, just a great guy. Yeah.
0: It's, but it's, it is it is few and far. Joe Wright's Joe Wright's is, you know, another one. I don't know if Joe's ever been mad about much, though, so that may be a little <laughs> bit different. Uh, and obviously, no, we'll do, going back to Bill Brooks, guys. I never had to say, talk anything bad about Bill Brooks. So, yeah, it, it's yeah. few and far between, though, as you bring up accurately.
2: When, when I run into guys either like a couple years ago with with Peyton and Ed Jordan's Hall of Fame thing, or sometimes they'll bring alumni guys back to training camp and you run into them. And, and, and unless they're just lying at their teeth, they're, they're they're glad to see you. And what I always say to them is, you know, it, it's good to run into these guys because generally, no matter how long the guy's been with the team, you have a relationship with them, and then they're gone. And you never see them again. So you never have a chance to say, hey, it was good work. Antoine hey, I've run into him three or four times after he left the cult. He was great to talk with. Gerard Powers, people like that, so... Uh, by and large, these guys understand you have a job to do, and as long as you're fair with them, if that's the right word, fair, and you don't have an axe to grind and you're not trying to prove your point uh, 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 you know by being too critical of them, that they really understand and they're okay with it. It's just there are times that people go over the top for whatever reason, you know, one game, Frank Reichs, a, you know Frank Reich's a perfect example. I mean, people wanted to run him out of town at the end. And one day he's a, he's a great play caller, the next day he's, a, he's an awful play caller. Well, how about giving give him a quarterback that he can work with, an offensive line that's decent, you know, the last couple of years. So just be fair and be honest. And by and large, whether it's Chris Ballard or Ursay or a player, generally they're okay with that.
0: Mike Chappell of CBS four and Fox fifty nine, Reggie
2: and Dwight. I'm blinking again. Can you see it? I'm blinking again. <laughs> two, two blinks is yes, one blinks no. He is sworn to
0: secrecy, everybody. Sworn to see we've tried this before really hard. So
2: All right. tell you, I've got I've got my story ready to go and <laughs> I'll be posted right around ten o'clock. And you know if I if I could trust you. I've seen you, Mike Oh, I can be but trusted. Trust
0: Come you. on now. You know there's nobody listening to this you. thing right now. Come on. I don't trust you. I don't trust you. All right, buddy. I, I appreciate you. Next week, we're talking about a new head coach. I bet yes, you. Yes, sir,
2: we are. Yes, sir, we are. I don't, I'm positive. Right. 100%, 98% positive. Mike, appreciate it. Thanks. Next week.